0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's episode of the Serial Dynasty is sponsored by Shaun T Fitness. Shaun T wants you to wear your motivation. Very soon, Shaun T will be releasing new apparel at shauntiapparel.com. But in the meantime, visit at Apparel on Instagram to be the first to know when shauntiapparel.com goes live. everybody, and welcome back to this Serial Dynasty. First and foremost, right out of the gates, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you who have helped out to contribute to the GoFundMe to help launch us into the Truth and Justice podcast. For less than a week into the campaign, we've already crossed the first milestone. Today, the fund grew to just over $5,000, which is exactly how much we need to order the building shell to get started on the new studio. I've ordered the building today, and it should be delivered in just a few weeks. We're about one-third of the way there to completing the studio project. So many people have donated, and it sincerely touches my heart that so many of you are this dedicated to the pursuit of truth and justice. We've received donations of all different amounts, and every single one of them is deeply appreciated. With a number of you listening today, we can reach the goal in a matter of minutes to finish off the studio and make sure that we have the resources to continue the show on through the winter. If everyone listening today goes to the GoFundMe page, www.gofundme.com slash truthandjustice, or go to the homepage, serialdynasty.com, and click the link. If every one of you listening today clicks that link and donates $1, just $1, that'll be enough, and we'll never have to do this again, and we'll have all the resources we need to keep going forward with this fight. And again, for all of you that have already given, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Also along the lines of some housekeeping things, our switch from Podomatic to Audio Boom has finally went through. I had several listeners asking me why the episodes are coming up in their feed on iTunes multiple times, and the reason for that is that all the episodes were originally uploaded to Podomatic, and while we were in the limbo stage, not knowing when iTunes would make the switch, all the episodes were also pulled into Audio Boom, so they would be there when the switch happened. When it happened, your device already downloaded them from Podomatic, and now it's downloading them from Audio Boom. But from this point forward, you'll only get the one episode, and they'll all come from Audio Boom. And also, for any of you who listen to the show via Podomatic, this episode will be the last one that you'll find on the Podomatic site. I'm going to upload this episode to both places because there's some people that don't use iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio and go directly to Podomatic to get it. So I wanted to give you guys a warning and give you an extra week to let you know. That after this week, all of the episodes will be on Audio Boom. So you can either get them through the Audio Boom app on the Audio Boom site, through iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. And now on with the show. Last week, I mentioned that I was trying to work out schedules to have Jim train him on the episode today to interview. Unfortunately, Jim is a very busy guy, and we weren't able to hook up this week. We're still talking. He's still looking into some issues on the case, and we are still planning on recording an interview, possibly in the next couple of weeks. So still look forward to that interview, but it's not going to be in this episode today. And along those lines, I've also been working with Jim Clementi, who you may know as one of the writers for the TV show Criminal Minds. Jim also has a wide range of experience throughout the criminal justice system. Namely, he spent many years working as a profiler for the FBI. Jim has been working with me for a little while now and has been examining the case and the crime scene photos and things of that nature. And in the coming weeks, Jim will be on the show giving his opinion of a profile for the murderer. So also look for that interview in the coming weeks. On today's show, I want to start off by talking about Undisclosed Episode 11 that deals with Jay. After that, I'll be interviewing Laura. Now, I know there was some confusion about all of the Lauras when I interviewed E a few weeks ago. There was the Laura that was the neighbor girl who told the Trunk Pop story, and then E mentioned another Laura later in the interview that he was friends with. That is the Laura that I spoke with today. She's the Laura that I mentioned before that interview that has a very unique perspective on everyone involved in this case, as she was very close, best friends with Stephanie, She was friends with Adnan, and Hay, and Jay, and Jen, and E, all in different circles of life. After the interview with Laura, I'll be reading some listener emails before we close the show today. So the first stop in today's journey, Undisclosed, Episode 11. In Episode 11, Robbie, Susan, and Colin release some groundbreaking information about the deals with Jay. I'm sure most of you already listened to the episode, which is just a brief recap. They actually got in contact with Ann Benaroya, who was the attorney that Kevin Urich hooked Jay up with back in 99. And if I heard correctly, I thought I heard at the beginning of the episode that Ann Benaroya actually reached out to Colin, not the other way around. So Benaroya has been a mystery to all of us since the beginning of this case. She came in out of nowhere, represented Jay, and then disappeared off of our radars for 15 years until she set the interview up with The Intercept for Jay and possibly Yurik. But before we get to Ben Roya, let's talk for a few minutes about the audio clips that Undisclosed played where the judge in the case was questioning Yurik about the plea deal. We heard her say that she's never seen anything like this before. She mentioned that it wasn't actually a guilty plea. To try to break this down out of legal terms, Basically, the plea deal was written in a way that it was open-ended. It was written in a way that it could be retracted at any time. In layman's terms, Yurik had Jay on the hook. If he didn't play ball with Yurik, he could have pulled the plea deal at any time. Yurik purposely did not put any statements of fact on the document. And I think that he did this for a couple of reasons. One, and probably the most important one, was so that he could keep Jay on the hook. He needed to keep something that he could hold over Jay's head. He needed Jay to know that if he didn't testify in the way that he needed him to testify, that he would pull the deal, and he would be charged with murder. And the second reason is, by not documenting any statement of fact on this plea agreement, there was nothing to disclose to the defense, and there was nothing on the record to impeach Jay if and when he changed his story again. As you heard from the judge, Yurk was careful throughout this entire case to hide Jay from the defense. He didn't have the star witness testify in the grand jury, which is unthinkable, and didn't document any statements of fact on the plea agreement, and he left it open so that he could present it to the jury as though Jay's going to prison, even though that was never the intention. It was obvious when you heard the judge how much disbelief that she had that this had been done, and how skeptical she was of the process. You could also hear how unwilling and unable Yurick was to respond to these questions. In my opinion, what Yurick was doing to Jay and to Adnan in this case, was criminal. Maybe not criminal in the legal sense, but certainly despicable. There was zero attempt by Kevin Yurick to find out the truth or to find justice in this case. What bothered me even further, and the thing that answered the most questions for me, and answered so many questions in this case that we've all been asking, was Ann Benroya. After listening to that episode, it's become crystal clear that Yurick duped Benroya, or as Susan Simpson said, he played her. To remind you all, what Ann Ben Roya said to the Undisclosed team was that Kevin Urich's threat against Jay was to send this case to Baltimore County, Jay's case, and charge him with murder. And as was mentioned on Undisclosed, Baltimore County almost always sought the death penalty in murder cases. Unlike Anand, Jay was not a minor, thus making him eligible for the death penalty. So when Ann Ben Roya comes into the picture, She's asked to represent Jay and convince him to sign this plea agreement. And she does it because his options are be charged with murder in Baltimore County and face the death penalty or take a plea agreement where you'll only serve two years in prison. Knowing that they had Jay on tape confessing, there's not an attorney in the world that wouldn't take that deal for their client or wouldn't advise their client to take that deal. So knowing this, everything starts to come into light. Things start to make more sense. It gives us a better understanding of what was going on with Jay. There are still many of you out there who disagree with my theory that Jay was completely uninvolved in this case. And I'm not saying you're wrong, but I will say that I certainly disagree with it even more so now. I think that avoiding the death penalty, or at a minimum life in prison, is certainly motivation enough to do what the cops ask you to do. So now knowing this new information, it made me wonder even more who Jay was. What was he like? And how in the hell did he get roped into this? And to answer that question, I called Jay's very good friend, Laura. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Laura, for taking the time to call in today.
1: Hi, no problem. Thanks for
0: having me. I know you're, you're short on time. You got a new baby at home and everything right now. So, um, we'll get right into it. So for starters, can you just kind of talk to us a little bit about how you knew everybody in the case? I know you have a really unique perspective from when we spoke earlier as far as your relationship with Adnan, Hey, Stephanie, Jay, Jen, E, all those people. So can you just kind of walk us through how you knew all these people? Yeah.
1: Um, Stephanie was my best friend in high school. Uh, I met Stephanie through the magnet program, and uh, we played sports together, so that was our common interest: uh, basketball, soccer, and softball. Then I met Jay through Stephanie. I met E through Jay and Stephanie. But I met Adnan through school through the magnet program. I met Hay through school through the magnet program, and also through sports because she played field hockey and lacrosse, and our the women's the girls' soccer and softball team locker rooms were right next to each other, so we'd always cheer each other on, and our fields were always next to each other, and then I met Jen through soccer and the magnet program. I guess you could say that my unique perspective is that I was able to hang out with everybody, but independently of each other. I've been through all the social groups, I guess you
0: could say. As far as I know, you're the only one that kind of had that perspective because, you know, you had a good relationship with all these people, but you you weren't all hanging out with them all together in the same place all the time. And in regards to that, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is um Jay, in his intercept interview uh, last December, he was talking about the trip to on Syria was called not her real name Kathy's but we know her name now is Christy how the night that Jay and Adnan on the night of the murder went to Christy's house uh, and it was the night that Adnan was was really out of it. Christy said she was acting really weird that there were several people there, and Jay named you as being one of the people that were at Christy's house that night. Do you remember that?
1: No, I mean, I I wasn't there. Uh, I I remember hanging out at Christie's house with Jay and Jen um, all the time. Um, but I would have remembered hanging out, out there and seeing Adnan because it would have struck me so weird to see Jay show up with Adnan because I didn't know they would hang out like that. I didn't know they were cool like that, especially the smoke you know, because that's what we usually did back then was we'd get together small pot and just, you know, run around and do high school stuff. But I would have remembered something like that, especially someone like Adnan, you know, because I liked him a lot and and he was always cool with me and, um, and in class and everything, you know, like he was always like nice and funny and, you know, just pleasant, just all around cool guy. But I never, um, I never hung out. I would have known, I would have, that would have struck me as awed. in my like, wait a minute, you know this girl? You guys hang out like that? So I wasn't there that night. I was there a lot of other nights, but I wasn't there that night when Adnan came over.
0: Okay, so you were you were never at Christie's house at the same time as Adnan, as far as you no, remember?
1: No, I was never at the same time. Yeah, but like you gotta, like, you gotta, but just weird because, like, you know, back then, You know, most of the time I spent, if I wasn't with Stephanie, I was either with Jay or Jen and E in any of those combinations. I was either with Stephanie and Jay, or I'd be with Jen and Jay, or Jen, Jay, and E. You know, like, we were always together. Like, um, so that's what was weird that, like, especially, like, how Stephanie and Adnan's relationship were so close, like, I mean, when I tell you I was over, I was, my best friend and like think of like your best friend in high school like what do you do you guys are always together like i was always at her house i was at her house more than i was at my house i was at her house so much that i knew the different nights of the week where they would make certain dinners and like spaghetti night it would be thursday night you know <laughs> right so like i like lived there like that was like my second home so that's why it was so weird to hear on um, that. um even when they would say that Adnan and Stephanie were were that close, like if that never, if I wasn't with Stephanie, I was on the phone with Stephanie talking to her, you know. So it's like I I've, I've I don't know. It must have been like the the small amount of time that we were together hanging out, which is like very minuscule. Except for whenever we would play basketball out back, and maybe Adnan would come over to play basketball, but that was like rare. That's like once a summer. You know, so, like, that's why it was odd to see just all these dynamics, all these people hang out when, like, I was there and I never saw, I never hung out with these two. I never saw them interact as it's been, like, said that they were interacting.
0: So, yeah, I mean, you were, as far as we know, the, the, probably the closest person to Stephanie. and And she's been a big mystery to really all of us since it started. You know, she hasn't been willing to or wanted to speak about all this. What do you remember from this time, like, like after Hay went missing and then leading up to, you know, Jay getting taken in and then Adnan getting arrested and all that? Like, do you remember much about Stephanie's reaction to all of that?
2: When Hay was missing,
1: none of us, it wasn't really a big deal to us. You have to remember at that time. Cause we always thought that, well, I always, you know, me and Krista and I think Aisha at that time, you know, um, she had had that new boyfriend. So, we just thought that she took town with him. So, the initial, like, shock of her missing wasn't, you know, it wasn't bestowed on us like people would think. Like, you're just going about your high school routine like it was nothing. Like, oh, she just, you know, she probably ran away. She'll be back, you know? Right. Um, and so, I mean, we didn't really think anything of it. Um. I don't know when Jay started to get questioned. Like I wasn't aware of any of that until serial. I didn't even know they went to court. So I don't know when that went down. Um I so, know let me stop but what just, I do know. Sorry.
0: Is, just for, so you you never as close as you were with Jay, you never had any idea that he was involved as far as like testifying or no. that, that he was involved at all.
1: No. No. Never oh. never and even Jen. I was always with Jen too. Like I no one ever said anything to me about, you know, uh, the cops are harassing me, uh, um, uh, I gotta get a lawyer or I gotta go to court. No one like, I mean, no do think what you would expect to hear from people that you hang out with all the time and consider them as close as your family and no one said anything like that to me. Like not one word was said. So I, I had no idea, uh Jay and Jen were involved like they were until so I talked to Sarah from Syria and she actually read me some of the transcripts. Wow. So I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. So you, so didn't, that was,
0: you didn't know Jen was testifying either then?
1: I didn't know Jen was involved her at all. And Jen was one of my closest friends, too. I was, I was always with her as well. I mean, that was like the group I always would, would hang around with. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that she she helped or anything like that. I mean, even just hearing, at first I heard of all that, was hearing her voice on the tape. So I didn't know that she was being questioned, or, you know, uh, they would come to her house. I didn't know any of that.
0: Did Jay or Jen ever tell you anything about the crime, that, you know, that Adnan did it, or anything like that?
1: No. No one ever said anything when I was with them. Okay. I mean, we were, those times we were just, we would be hanging out, but, yeah, that's what's odd, is that, um, something like that, you would think someone would flip and say something, but no, no one ever said anything to me, I mean, I don't know if it was because they were looking out or maybe they know anybody knew, hey, she's a classmate, or, I don't know what it was, you know, I mean, in a way, I'm glad they never said anything to me, because I didn't want, I wouldn't have wanted cops and interrogations right. and all that stuff come down, but um, I'm just, I, I'm just shocked that, you know, something that big going on in your life, then. I mean, I get it. Maybe, maybe it was going on in your life and then you just, you just don't want to talk about it. And the time that we hung out together was time. I mean, it was the good time. You know, like you're not, these people aren't evil. Like, you know, that's what's kind of upsetting about hearing all these podcasts and stuff. Like, like they don't know Jen and Jay. You know, like they're not these evil people. You know, like they're amazing individuals. You know, when you really get to know them, they're, they're, they're loyal. Why
0: don't we do that? Why don't you take a few minutes and kind of, just tell us about Jay, like as some, from someone who knew him personally. Like, what kind of person Jay was?
1: Jay was awesome. Like, Jay always looked even from the moment that I met him. He always looked out for me. Like, he was kind of like my big brother. Uh, my family loved Jay. Like, Jay was someone that uh, he taught me about cars. Um, he taught me like street smart. You know, always be on your P's and Q's. Always look out your check, check your mirrors. Uh-huh. Um, at all times whenever you're in the city, you know, because you never know. Just be aware of your surroundings. He he, just cared. Like, he was like family. Like, anything that he could help me with, he would. And same thing, I, I, I mean, I would take Jay to work, you know. I would let Jay hold my car, you know. I would pick him up if he needed a ride to go somewhere. That's why it's all weird when it's like Adnan would pick him up or Adnan would you know, let him hold his car because a lot of the times Jake would have my car or Stephanie's car or Jim's car, you know? Right. And like, I know people are like, how could you let your car? I don't know, we were in high school. you we were like fucking 15, 17, 18. You know, you think your friends are like family. You don't think anything would go wrong. You know, you trust them with anything. So, I mean, I didn't think now, obviously, you know, in retrospect, you're like, what the hell was I doing? But, um, no, I, I mean, he 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 was just, he, he was, he was like, like I think Chris, Chris said it, he was like the Dennis Rodman. I mean, he was just so eccentric, but that's what made him amazing, like his conversation his knowledge. We'd go to concerts together. Oh man, we would go to concerts. He would look after me at concerts. I'd go to concerts with Ben. It used to be the HS Festival and with, um with, uh, with Stephanie too. And, you know, we would always look out for each other. And he, um you didn't have, like, the best, you know. Like, I had a good family. Like, I had a mom and dad that worked. Right. Um, I had a good middle-class upbringing. You know, Jay always had the, he had, for some reason, there's always some people in life, like, that always get the shitty end of the stick.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, there's always
1: some fucking thing that goes wrong. There's always something. Right. And you're like, God damn it. Like, they're good people. Just cut them a break. Like, Dan, E, Jay. They're just good people, you know, like they're big hearts. They would do anything for their friends. You know, they just need to get cut a break to, um, I would always say to get out of Baltimore, you know, we're never going to get, you know, to just leave and, and start a new life and get a new chance to, to start over. And, um, I mean, he just was like, he, he, I get Jay's perspective on the cops, you know? Right. I mean, the cops, I get it, you know? I, I would be with him and they would harass him for no reason. But that's that's far more, you
0: know. Were you there like, the the time when he got uh he got arrested? Um it was actually in January that year, kind of between when when Hay went missing and her body was found. Um he was arrested. He was with Jen and he got charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. Apparently they, they were harassing him and then he he kinda of got into it with the cops and they had a little bit of a wrestling match and then he ended up getting arrested and charged. Do you do you recall that?
1: No, I wasn't there. I wasn't there when anyone got
0: arrested. You said he was harassed. You were there several times. He was harassed by the cops. Was that something that was happening, or?
1: I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it like within, like when you're down in the um, in the projects and stuff, how the cops would harass you. They wouldn't arrest you, but they would talk shit. They would talk back, you know, to to every black male down there, you know, to get them riled up. To do an assault charge or something, or just arbitrary conduct, just to just to get them, you know. So right. I've seen it. You know, that's not that's nothing uh, uncommon down in the city. The way the cops are, everyone knows that. So hey. I mean, I could see how they could get under your skin. You know, I mean, they did it to me. You know, just for standing in a in a in an area. You know, they they harass you.
0: Yeah, the you know? uh, and it's not
1: right. You, they totally profile you.
0: Yeah, the the Baltimore City you know, Police Department does uh has quite a reputation for doing exactly that.
1: It, that's something that's been going on for decades. You know, that's nothing new.
0: Play for free at
2: LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: So as intimately as you knew Jay, how did you react when you heard on Serial that he had supposedly helped bury Hayes' body? Did you believe it? No.
1: I mean, I was shocked and couldn't believe that it was bad not. Like, I didn't know what to make of it. I couldn't, I mean, I, I, as a friend, like, I could see if I asked him, if I was like, hey, I'm in trouble. Can you help me? He would totally help me. You know, but somebody like Adnan, it didn't, um, it didn't, after they didn't hang out, they wasn't cool like that. You know, they weren't friends, they didn't, they weren't, you know, like, that's not, well, I, I just did not understand why he would help him out. Like especially on something to that degree, because then you're like an accessory, and it's not like, you know, your knowledge of the system, like, except, a, I mean, you knew you knew right away you'd be an accessory or accomplice or whatever. You, you know? know, you know, you you have the street smarts to know, you know, and I guess right. that adds to some of the fear because you know so much, you know, you know that by him or how, whatever the course of the events went down that just because something was even mentioned, you're associated with it. Yeah. And you don't even know how the cops are going to treat that, you know? So that would be an intimidating factor, you know, from the cops' point. I mean, if anybody, like, that stuff that, on you know, they were like Adnan and Jay with a hitman. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe Jay was intimidated by Adnan at all. I, Jay wasn't someone that was easily intimidated. Right. You know, if anything, Jay was the one that was intimidated, intimidating. You know, because right. he was just just tall, lanky dude. You know, sometimes he would dye his hair. He had piercings. You know, he liked heavy—he liked heavy metal, rock. You know, like he was like a—he was a—he was like a hippie at the same time. <laughs> you know, um, so you know, like it's not like that's what was—that's what was just always weird to me. I mean, I can see if Jen, if Jay then said something to Jen, I can see, I believe Jen helping because they were that close. You know, I believe that. That's right. unbelievable to me. You know, but the fact that Jay helped bury a body, that that—that that to me was, was pretty, I guess you could say shocking. I mean, because you've you got to take your hanging out with these people like your whole high school career. You know, whenever you're not working or, you know, I played sports. Whenever I wasn't playing sports or in the summer, you know, I'd always be with them, you know. So to hear that he helped bury a body, like, it just doesn't seem so out of it's characteristic to tra- add his personality to be involved with such a thing. He's the kind of guy that, yeah, he may seem like he's tough. You know, on the outside, he puts down, he puts up this, even in the intersect interview, like this, this front. You know, but if you really, really know him, he's a sweetheart. You know, like he's a teddy bear.
2: Right.
1: So I don't, I don't. You know, uh, he wouldn't even hurt a fly. You know, the day that I know, that's what it looks like. I guess you could even say dumbfounding for me. You know, I mean, and for any, for everyone that's involved with this. You know, I was always even after that, I guess that I put it you know, the best way possible that anyone has said is that, you know, you're kinda in this gray area, you're kinda in this fog because it's like then who do you really know then? You know? Like right. if you're with these people and you talk to them and you talk about family stuff and sometimes you have real conversations where you talk about life and you have deep thoughts and you try to try to solve all the problems that you have in your youth, you know, like and do you ever really know anybody
0: yeah well you know like
1: that's what that's the real question that you know do i really really know who you are do you really know who i am you know so like that's what was so especially with stephanie too like you know somebody wouldn't even talk about anything stephanie's initial stand was that adnan did it that the cop got the right person
0: that was during uh that was, during that time
1: that was after they arrested Adnan. That's the only thing I remember was them arresting Adnan. Like I'll never forget it, you know. Um, I remember uh it was coming up on the news and I was in my basement and I saw that they they put Adnan's picture up and they said that they they found it was like on W J Z thirteen or whatever. And um they said that they made an arrest in the in the Hey Min Lee murder and they put an Adnan's picture and I immediately texted Krista my friend and told her that they arrested Edna. And I was just like beside myself. I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't believe it. That, that, that's enough. You know, never in my life, you're not talking about people that are malicious or have an evil heart or just evil, you know, to be able to do what they say and kill her the way that she was killed. You know, that's not conceivable for me, the people that I know. Right. You know, like, that's not. I think regardless if he was like an EMT or whatever, you know, like that wasn't in his heart, you know, like I think I I thought I had, would have a pretty good feel on how people are. And, you know, and I never, you never saw Edna get angry, like even Jay, I never saw Jay get angry, you know, right. like I know there's conspiracies out there that say that Jay killed her. Why? Why would he even want to kill her? That's not Jay. He doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. He doesn't own the world anything. As far as I'm concerned, the world owes owes Jay because it's been a shitty life. You know, like, imagine, like, he tried, and that's the thing that that breaks my heart is that he's a guy that finally found his happy place, finally found that niche in his life that he's been working his ass off. Like, he's a hard worker, always having some sort of job. You know, no matter what, remember, he's the one that was the main provider in his house. But so how many people can sit there and say that through their high school career, they had to be the main providers for their family? He was in charge of putting the food on the table for his mother, okay. not the other way around, you know. like how many people can go through that, you know, right. and say that they're okay, you know. And not just his mother, his grandfather, his grandmother, they all lived in the same house. And at the same time, get berated by his mom because he's not making enough. He ain't bringing enough money. Like, really? And everyone sits there and they like to say, you know, like, you just don't know. You, you can't even relate to that kind of situation, you know? But he still kept working. He still kept going. Um, he put his, he sometimes he would put his head down and just go to work in construction or, uh, you know, the video store, you know, Hollywood video, PetSmart. You know, the zoo, wherever he could get a job, they would get a job from work. Same thing with Jed, and same thing with yeah, and these people weren't there after them, So to think that they're anything less is just like it's like an insult to me. I'm like, no one it just it's upsetting that people are quick to judge and they don't even know the whole story, you know, of who these people really are. You know. He just it's just another another round of bad luck come up again, you know, like it's just it makes it makes me sad because he finally back to his place of like where he's successful and now you know he's getting harassed again like you know I know that there's all these you know he was forced or you know it, his hand was forced by the cops I mean you know and he lied and you know he was coached and
0: I think he was I think he was threatened I think and and to be honest with you listening to you just describe him and his home life and everything about him it's it's heartbreaking I mean it's it's just making me sad because I. You know, I hadn't told you this before this, but you know, I, I personally believe that that Jay had nothing to do with this, and he got trapped by the cops and pressured by the cops and threatened until he was in a position where he had no other choice. And it's—I said a few episodes back that I think they ruined his life. They—they ruined his life, and and they're continuing to. So I'm—I'm yeah, they totally did. I mean, that's why, like, that's why I'm
1: like, I can't. The only people that would be able to intimidate Jay are the cops. I mean, wouldn't the cops intimidate you? It, I, I don't know about you, but being arrested, period, and being put in the back of a cop car—I mean, that's pretty damn intimidating in itself, you know.
0: Right. Let
1: alone to be in an interrogation room for hours at a at a time, telling them—I mean, cops are scary people, you know. But like, right. I'm really scared. You know, I don't want to go to jail. You know, it's not right that you know. What how it went down and that Adnan is at the end of this. You know, I don't know what the hell the re- witch hunt, I can't even keep all the stories straight of the witch hunt that went on by the cops for Adnan or, or even why. I mean, like, he's a great person, you know, but it, he, he's not, he's not a killer. Right? And it's a great, it's, it's, it's what makes me sad is that the, there's a real killer out there and they could be free. They could be walking around free for all these years.
0: Right, and that's... You know, like,
1: that's what's really disheartening of everything. Like, after 15, 20 years, this person got away with it, and the cops, you know, they call her Even from the moment they arrested... I remember when they arrested, and um, they had counselors at the school, and I remember the cop, like, I remember being in the guidance counselor office, and I remember asking the cop, um, you gotta be... You, you, you have the wrong person. I was like, that's not true, you can't... And that's from the cops that you know, he's like he's had they've had people with a murder weapon in their hands, you know, blood all over saying they didn't do it. You know. And they were they were so sure, they were so sure that Adnan did it. You know, and even the guys' counselors back then they were like, Well, the cops don't make mistakes. You know, and that was huh. the that was the that was the thing that was the, the vibe you got back then, at least from the school's perspective. Um, yeah, well, the cops don't make mistakes, you know, they arrested the right person, you know, like, why? you know, and you kind of like, at that age, they don't let you ask too many questions, Right. you know, like, or they don't even give you any answers, you know, like, they, they brush you off as high school kids.
0: Right. When they were, were they questioning you guys or was it, were they just there to answer questions?
1: No, they were just they just had I guess they weren't questioning us. It was never a questioning. It was just, um it was more of a present. It wasn't okay. even an answer question thing, it was just more of a of a reaffirmation presence of what went on.
0: Okay, and they were um, were they letting you guys were they were they kinda like you mentioned, making it clear to everybody there that they had the right guy and
1: Yeah, yeah, they definitely made it clear that this was their guy. Like that? No, with the guy. They don't make mistakes. Wow. That was definitely clear. You know? Wow. Why would they? And they had his fingerprints all over everything.
0: That's what they told you guys. Which now,
1: yeah, which now you come to find out, like, well, you know, and even then we we're like, well, you know, he wasn't—he wasn't his boyfriend. Like, he was in the car. You know, what, what do you mean you have fingerprints over everything? You know?
0: Yeah, I think but, they were doing a good job at uh, convincing you all that he was guilty.
1: Well, yeah, and they're like, "Oh, there's DNA
0: evidence too." Oh, they told you there on. was DNA evidence?
1: Yeah, they're like, "There's DNA evidence," and I'm like, "What kind of DNA evidence?" But every time you start questioning, you wouldn't get an answer.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, I mean, it's obvious now they didn't have anything, right? You know, but I mean, back then, you know, you don't know. I mean, this is your senior year; you're you're just, you're trying to get to college. You know, right. Like, that's what, you know, I think they're like, just focused on, you know, going to college. You know, like, what, what the, you know, you're like, what the fuck just happened?
0: I, I can't. even imagine. because I
1: always felt like I lost two friends, you know? Like, I was yeah. heartbroken when I, they arrested Adnan. I was like in a daze for a couple of days. And that's what especially really, you really, know, really, I wanted to talk about it. I would talk about it with Krista more and I became close with Krista. I'd be over there and Aisha. I would be over Christmas, I after that. Um but, I mean, I even just thinking about it now, I remember, I remember, I'll never forget the day that they found, um his body, and they, they announced it, you know, they had grief counselors at the school, and I remember, um, they let us leave school, and I remember we had all gathered over Peter's house? I think it was Peter's house. He was on cereal too. But I remember walking out back, in the back park of the school back parking lot of the school and I remember, you know, I was thinking in my car to drive over there and I remember seeing Edna on, on the curb sitting down with his head, head in his hand. And I remember, um, going over there, sitting next to him and just hugging him and just, you know, you don't really need to say anything. Right. You know? But oh. and so and I remember, you know, him being so so upset that uh, that she was like. I mean, it was like it's like your first encounter with death in your life. You know, like you right. can't believe you're never going to see that person again. I mean, it changed us all. It changed me. It changed us all. So you know, when you when you really encounter what death is like in life, it it hurts. It's sad. It's traumatic. You know. So.
0: On that topic, can we kind of loop back to a little bit ago, I was talking to you about Stephanie, and you mentioned that after Adnan was arrested, that, you know, she thought that obviously that Adnan did it. Prior to that, do you remember how, did, did, did she have any inclining that Adnan did it? Or did she say anything like that in the period of time before Adnan was arrested? No.
1: She didn't say anything at all. She didn't say anything at all about hate or any of that. Uh. No, no, nothing. I mean, we didn't think anything of it, you know, right. before um, Adnan got arrested. So, so I mean, she—it's not like she kept quiet. I mean, we we just went on with our normal high school lives, you know, of sports and home and homework and you know, like it wasn't thought it wasn't as serious as we all thought or what it turned out to be, you know, and the right. series that she was missing. I mean, even back then. I remember Krista asking us uh, when um Adnan was arrested if we could. But you have to remember, like what people tend to forget about all this is that, like from when Hank disappeared and from and when Adnan was charged, and if you listen to all the the events of all the recordings and stuff, you're talking weeks later, right? You know, like you're not talking one day to the next, and I think that gets lost in all these, but. I mean, if you, if you, how do you expect, can you honestly remember what you did six weeks ago today?
0: I don't remember what I had with? for lunch yesterday.
1: Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? So like you're asking a bunch of high head high schoolers what turn you made on January 13th and who you, were you with and who you could, you don't know, you know? Right. Like, so that's why it wasn't like when I was listening to the interview with Jay. On the the police interview that they played on serial like I, it could it would make sense to me that you're a little fuzzy. Like I, even then, I couldn't remember if I saw Adnan, and that was like when they arrested him. So that was what, like
0: six, about six, six weeks later. later, yeah.
1: About six weeks later, even then, I was like, I don't remember if I saw him, Krista, Chris Krista asked. I was like, I don't remember seeing him that day.
0: You well, know, and I, don't, it's, I
1: can't recall.
0: And especially when it's something like school where it's, you know, every day is a normal day and they all run together. Yeah. Six weeks later, yeah, it's crazy. I know.
1: Yeah. And especially, like, even the fact that they were like, oh, do you remember that it was school? And, like, I remember, and that was another thing. Like, Christopher would say, um, first of all, January 13th is Stephanie's birthday. You know? And, right. like, Stephanie had a basketball game that night. That stuff I do remember. Um, and then that weekend, there, I think there was like an ice storm or something, and I do remember going to Christmas birthday party because we had like no power, no heat, or food, and it was like the first time I got like a real meal, like pizza, and I got there early. But I don't, I know they're in cereal or in other schools, I know Christmas said that, uh, hey, Adnan showed up with Jen and Stephanie, I mean, Jay and Stephanie, and I don't I don't remember seeing... I look at the pictures and it's true, you know, but Uh, I don't remember seeing him. I mean, I was in the kitchen too about Eve, so, I mean, I was all about food back then. (laughs) I don't remember... I don't remember seeing him, you know, so it's it's crazy, you know. It's just crazy how, like, even Eve said it, like, you know, 15 years later, and it's crazy how, you know, the whole world now it's just as Jesus we were
0: right. And I
1: am I still am. Like I still it's oh it's hard for me to fathom that these people were involved in any aspect of this period.
0: In regards to to the people, um we're just about ready to wrap this up, but before we do, since you're somebody who does have this perspective, um before we close out the interview, can you take a, just a few minutes and tell us about Hay? Who Hay was?
1: Um, uh, Hay was awesome. She was always happy. Uh, she was smart, you know, because I was always I was in the we were in the magnet program, but she was always in the AP classes and stuff. Everybody loved her. I mean, she had, she was just such a good spirit, you know, a good soul. She would always like cheer us on for soccer, and we would, you know, I would be like, you hockey," and like, "What kind of sport is you hockey?" I never heard of it until I got to high school, and uh, I would always cheer her on, and we would always, you know, whenever they would be running around our field for conditioning, we would cheer them on, or, you know, if they had a game, we'd do a little cheer, you know, because I was captain of the soccer team, so I'd have the girls do a little cheer to support the hockey, or, you know, if it was lacrosse, because they played mm-hmm. on, you know, different seasons, same field, but we always had the same field. Um, and we would go to each other's games, like, you know, she was just, she was just such a free spirit, just so, um, upbeat, like, you know, I, I never saw Hay, like, upset or sad, like, or, you know, angry or anything, like, it's like nothing, nothing could bother her, like, she's, just she's such a good person, like, it's so sad that, it was so sad that it's always, like, only the good die young type deal, right. you know, but, like, oh. But, like, it's always like that. It's been, like, it's just so sad that that, that has to go down like that, you know? Yeah. Like, But she was just such an amazing individual. Like, she was so smart. Like, how could you not love her? Right. You know? Like, how could you not want to be her friend or her classmate or know her in some kind of aspect? Like, you know, like, that's just, that's just, every now and then you meet people like that. You're like, oh, man, they're just great. You know, you can't say enough good things. About that, and that's how she—that's all
0: he was. Well, and that's what you know. As hard as all this is, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, uh, willing to talk to me today. Uh, as hard as it all is, that's what this is all about. It's—it's it's, it's really about, you know, we—we we obviously want to see a out of prison for this, but it's—it's it's all about trying to find justice for her. I mean, we can't bring her back, but yeah. like you said earlier, there's there's someone out there that did this, and and we need to find him and. And that's what we're tend to do. And, and you know, it, it may not seem like it to you, but your, your interview here it helps us with that. It helps us paint a better picture. It's so hard to know what happened 16 years ago. And yeah. you helping paint that picture for us about what reality really was back then is priceless. And I want to thank you one more time, Laura, for coming on with me. This was a wonderful interview, and I'm just so thankful for you speaking to us. So thank you so much.
1: No problem. Um, thank you for having
0: me. No problem. You two will take care of that kid.
1: Thank you. I will. <laughs> All right.
0: Bye, Laura. All right. Bye. I have to tell you that there were moments of that interview that just absolutely broke my heart. I don't mean to be overly melodramatic, but listening to Laura talk about Jay's real life, the real Jay, who he really is, and what he's been through. Number one makes it all that more clear to me how he could have landed in this situation. And number two, it just absolutely sickens me that these police officers and this shady prosecutor destroyed so many lives. These sick individuals clearly ruined Anand's life, as he's been sitting in prison for 16 years. And if I'm right about Jay, they ruined Jay's life too. And even aside from all that, Heyman Lee's murderer is still out there. Whoever he is, he's been going on about his life for the last 16 years, with nothing but devastation in his wake. People have questioned the integrity of doing this show, of having a podcaster rally tens of thousands of people to help solve a murder in public. But you've seen the facts of the case. If we don't do this, who will? And we all know the answer to that. No one will. It's a new day that we're living in. It's a day where we have to improvise, adapt, and overcome. We have to find a way to right these wrongs and find a way to stop these injustices. That's why we're here. Before we move on to the listener email segment of the show, let's take just a quick minute to hear about our sponsor. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: All right, I have three listener emails I want to go through tonight. And hopefully they answer the questions that a lot of people have had. Most of the emails that I got this week were in regards to Don's timesheets. The first email I got is from Denise Harl. Denise says, Hi Bob, couldn't we look at Don's pay stub for the time period in question and find out whether he was actually paid for the hours reflected on both timesheets? If he wasn't paid for the 0097 timesheet hours, then that would cast even more suspicion on the veracity of the, quote, Donald timesheet. If he was paid, maybe it doesn't answer anything. Thanks and keep up the great work. You must be one of those people who never sleeps. Denise. I'm definitely sleeping less and less lately, Denise. Um, and to answer your question, that would work except for the fact that we do not have Don's pay stubs. They were not included in the packet that was received from LensCrafters. And the only way to obtain the pay stubs would be either from Don himself or from LensCrafters corporate. And we have no access to the corporate records without a subpoena. So I would like to know the answer to that question too, but just to clear that up, We do not have his pay stubs for that period of time, or any of his pay stubs as a matter of fact. Thank you, Denise, for sending in the email and thank you for the question. My next email is from Adam. Adam's subject line says, Don's ID. You forgot to mention a relevant detail. He writes, Did any of the other timesheets for the six or so months surrounding Hayes disappearance show that Don worked at the alternate location in Hunt Valley using the correct and current 1999 employee ID number? I've had a lot of people ask this same question. And everyone was asking it if any of Don's normal timesheets with the normal employee ID number, the 0162, showed him working at Hunt Valley. And the answer to the question is no. But that's not the entire answer. The reason that the answer is no is that confirmed by more and more and more sources from lens crafters every day, when you worked at a different store, your hours always showed up on the same timesheet and they all looked exactly the same. If over the last couple of weeks you've taken a look at the timesheets on Susan's blog, The View from LL2, you'll see that in the time slots, it's just numbers. That's all that's there. And in the different columns, you have regular hours, overtime hours, and total hours. Nowhere on those timesheets does it differentiate which store you were working at. And I've lost count at this point. It has to be over 20 LensCrafters employees that have worked during that time, and Luxottica, and LensCrafters Corporate and the Hunt Valley managers working on that day, all confirmed that there was no distinction on your timesheet for hours that you worked at a different store. I could work at a different store every day of the week, and my timesheet would just show the hours that I worked each day. It would not show which store I worked at. So to sum that up, we don't know exactly how many times Don covered at Hunt Valley when he was working at Owings Mills. One of the managers that was working at the Hunt Valley store could only remember that he had been there several times enough for him to remember that he seemed like a nice kid, but he couldn't tell me how many times he had worked there. So Adam and hopefully all of you other listeners that had the same question, I hope that answers it for you, and thank you for that email. My last email for tonight comes from Dawn. Dawn writes, Has anyone checked the timesheet to see if everyone scheduled to work showed up at their scheduled time? If so, then whose shift was Don meant to be covering? And again, on this issue, that's just information that we don't have. What we have is the packet that was sent to Kevin Durick from LensCrafters. It contained the schedule for the Hunt Valley store for the week containing January 13th. Of course, Don was not on that schedule anywhere, and there were no notations made on any of the lab tech shifts that would show that they weren't at work that week. The packet did include timesheets for the general manager, the retail manager, and the lab manager. We do have those timesheets so we know who was working on those days. Unfortunately, they did not send the timesheets for the lab techs. We know when they were scheduled to work, but we have no idea if they actually worked those days or not. But again, as I said last week, we do know that none of them, no one, was scheduled to work from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Wednesday, January 13th. Another question that I've gotten from several listeners was regarding some confusion by me talking about the Saturday shift on January 16th. Many people were confused as to why I was talking about the 16th when the crime occurred on the 13th. And just to clear that up, The reason I was talking about the hours on the 16th were simply because they were on the same timesheet. Remember the process I'm working through right now is first, figure out why a suspect was eliminated by the police. In Don's case, he was eliminated because he had an alibi confirmed by this document, this one timesheet. So the place to start with any investigation is to analyze that document, the timesheet that ruled him out. So it's not just looking at where Don was or what he was doing on the 13th the first step is to decide if that document holds up. So the reason that I was talking about the hours on the 16th was simply because those hours were on that same document. They were on the same timesheet. And the reason I was discussing those hours, as you remember, is that it seemed like it was an impossible feat for Don to clock out of one store at 106 and clock into the other store at 129, with just a 23-minute gap in between. And in regards to that... I did have a listener that volunteered to do the route test for me. She did the route test and drove from the old Hunt Valley location, where it was in 1999, to the old Owings Mills location, where it was in 1999, and she videotaped the entire process. I believe the video has been uploaded to YouTube. So when I get a link, I'll go ahead and post it on the At Serial Dynasty Twitter feed so you all can check it out. And you'll see that she's not dragging her feet. At some point, she's driving 80 miles an hour down the highway. And what she found is that it took her exactly 23 minutes to get from the door of the Hunt Valley store to the door of the Owings Mills store. That doesn't account for the time of logging in and out of the computers. So look for that link on the At Serial Dynasty Twitter feed. Now, with all that being said about the timesheets, I think it's time that we put this to rest and move on to other things. Like I mentioned last week, there's all kinds of speculation and theories out there of people claiming that this timesheet might not be falsified. i provided all the confirmation that I can give to you from all the different sources that have confirmed this. But to hopefully put this to rest once and for all, I have on the phone with me right now Elizabeth, who was a general manager of LensCrafters in 1999. And this is what Elizabeth had to say about the timesheet.
2: I was a general manager with LensCrafters Crafters for four years.
0: And so you've seen these time cards, right? And I've heard the episode about them? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes, I've seen both of the time cards from Hunt Valley and from Owensmouth.
0: What's your general take on these time cards?
2: In my experience, there was one time card. You didn't have two time cards from two different stores. You certainly didn't have two different associate numbers. I feel that the Hunt Valley one is false for a variety of reasons. Um, He should never have been working in that store in the first place and that he he would not have another identifier.
0: Okay, you mentioned that he should never have been working at that store in the first place. Why is that?
2: His mother being the general manager um, was against crafter's policy. They had a pretty stringent policy against having a reporting relationship with anyone you were related to or married to. And so his mother being the general manager would have had a, a reporting relationship with every single person in that store. So he should never have been working in that store in any capacity.
0: Even just covering a ship for someone?
2: Um, he shouldn't know. It would have been against policy. I'm, I'm surprised it would be ever, ever allowed.
0: Okay. Well, it turns out it may not have been. So looking at the, at the timesheets themselves, you said that, um, all employees did have a single associate ID number. That's what they logged in with. Would that be the case if they worked at, if they did go cover at a different store, would they still log in with their same ID or could they possibly have a different ID at a different store?
2: No, in my experience, it was the same ID and the same password at every store. Okay. That in, was how you got paid. That was how it followed you.
0: Okay. Would it have showed up any differently on a timesheet? Like, say, if I worked at the, in this circumstance, I worked at the Owings Mill store, I went to the Hunt Valley store to cover ship for a couple of hours, and I logged in with my associate ID, would that be differentiated at all on my timesheet, or would it look the same as any other hours?
2: In my recollection, it would have been the same as any other hours, and a lot of that was to avoid overtime.
0: Okay, meaning what? That they were, they, they could track your hours better that way?
2: Exactly. Lens crafters never wanted, to, you know, it's a retail business at its heart. And so you have your hours allocated based on your sales. So you didn't want to go into overtime because it was much more expensive for the company.
0: So do you think in this particular case, if you combine those two timesheets, I believe Don would have worked 45.7 hours. Is that something that would be normal or is that something that lens crafters would ever allow?
2: That would be pretty unusual for a lab tech. That was, the, you know, unless he was, you know, the greatest lab tech ever. You know, in, <laughs> in that area, there's no reason for that. I don't see any reason for that to ever have ever have
0: happened. Okay. Did, did lab techs and people on the retail side ever cross over? Like, could, could a lab tech, someone trained as a lab tech, ever cover a shift, say, on the retail side?
2: Not in my experience. We didn't have any crossover employees. No.
0: Okay. Um, and getting back no, to, and I was
2: at three different stores.
0: Okay, so you worked at three different stores? Yes. Okay, um, when you transferred from store to store, did you change your associate ID number when you transferred? Did you keep the same ID throughout your career working at the three different stores?
2: My ID followed me. And in my experience, the associate's ID also followed them.
0: Okay, so they didn't change when they moved from store to store. Is there, if, if an employee, if an employee like left service, if they were fired or they quit, what would happen to that associate ID?
2: In my recollection, and again, this has been a long time, that ID was, you know, kind of terminated and not reused. It wasn't something that you would recycle and, and use with a different employee.
0: Okay, so it was deactivated or terminated and it was not used anymore at all? Correct. Okay, and who, who generated the associate IDs? Like, if there was a new employee that came into a store, they got hired, how was the associate ID number generated?
2: Um, depending on whether they were on the retail side or the lab side, the lab manager or the retail manager would input the information, and then it was computer generated.
0: Okay, so the general manager didn't do that.
2: No, no, that was either on the retail or the lab side.
0: Could the general manager create? Or, or you know the case. So in absolutely in this in this particular instance, would the general manager have had the ability to get into the system and generate a new associate ID number or modify an old associate ID number? Another question that's come up for many of the listeners is whether or not the employee ID numbers were sequential based on hire date and also how that's possible, you know, because it, it seems like they were most of the, actually all of the LensCrafters employees that I've spoken to have all confirmed, yes, when you were hired, the associate ID number went up sequentially based on your hire date. However, there were four-digit numbers and there was like 800 LensCrafters at that time. Do you know how the... How those associate ID numbers were created, as far as is there more to the number that this, the employee didn't see, like if it was tied to the store or something like that?
2: You know, I'm sure it was tied to the store. I don't, I, I wish I had a better recollection of, of exactly how that number was generated, but your home store, your hiring store, I'm certain was where that number was generated. Beyond that, I, I just don't have a specific recollection of exactly how that you know, went from store to store without okay. duplication.
0: Okay. And then, um, you mentioned the home store. Could a general man, a general manager would have access to all of the hours and timesheets for an employee from their store, correct?
2: Yes, yeah, they would.
0: Okay. And then, um, what about an employee from a different store? Like, in, in this case, would Don's mother, the Hunt Valley general manager, have access to Don's timesheet that was, cause he was a Owings Mills employee. Would she have access to the, to that timesheet to edit it or work on it at all?
2: She should not have had access to a different store's timekeeping. So you would not have the ability to, to change hours at a different store.
0: Okay, uh, that makes if sense. you were the
2: general manager of one store, that was it.
0: Okay, so when Officer O'Shea called the Owings Mills store to confirm Don's alibi, the manager at Owings Mills was reading off, well, my, my theory is she was reading off of a timesheet because, because she gave specific times, uh, and they were the exact same times that were listed on the timesheet that he punched in at 902, lunch at 110, back from lunch at 142, and punched out at six o'clock PM. She gave those exact times, but she was the Owings Mills manager and that 0097 timesheet was a Hunt Valley employee timesheet the way that it was, it was set up. Would that Owings Mills manager have access or been able to see that timesheet? Like I don't s- feel that she could have. Okay, so...
2: No, that wasn't her associate, it wasn't her associate ID, and it wasn't her timekeeping system. So I don't feel that she could have had access to punch-in and punch-out time.
0: Okay, so the only way she could have had that information was either to get it directly from Don, who was working at that time on that day, or maybe to call over to the Hunt Valley store to get that information. Is that right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, she would have had to have that information provided to her. It's, in my experience, that wouldn't have been available to her.
0: Okay. And then as far as, you know, if we're operating under the, the idea that this timesheet was falsified, who would have the ability to go back and change hours? If someone went back and, say, edited an employee ID and added hours to it for this day, who would have the ability to do that?
2: Only a manager.
0: Any manager or just the and they general? they would
2: only have the, it, would, it could have been a retail manager, it could have been the lab manager, it could have been the GM. They, and they would only have had the ability to do that for a certain amount of time before that pay period closed.
0: Okay, so do you remember when the pay periods closed?
2: Not a clue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, at this point, no.
0: I mean, would it be no. like in general, like a few days after the pay period was over? Or are we talking months after the pay period was over?
2: No, no. We're talking a couple of days.
0: Okay. So that pay period ended on the 16th, which was a Saturday. So the change would have had to have been put into that system some let's say within a week of then. Absolutely. So that timesheet had to have been created or those hours edited before January 22nd, which was when Don was interviewed and gave the, and, and was, which was really the first time when he was really questioned by the police about where he was on that day or anything. And he said sure. he was working. So that, that timesheet had to have already been created prior to that. Okay, I'm sure there's other questions that listeners have, uh, Elizabeth, but I think that that's everything I needed from you. Just I, I wanted someone that was actually a general manager at LensCrafters at that time who could confirm all these things that we've we've gathered, and it sounds like you've done that. In your opinion, based on your experience, can you give your opinion on whether or not you believe that this document was falsified?
2: I absolutely believe that the Hunt Valley timesheet was falsified.
0: So there you have it. If you still want to believe that that timesheet was not falsified, I guess there's nothing else that I can do for you. As for the rest of you who are wondering where we're going from here, my investigation into Don is still ongoing. There are a lot of things that I still need to confirm, fact check. There are other witnesses that I'm still waiting to speak to, but we will come back to this. I promise you that. It may be next week or two weeks or three weeks from now. But once I have all this information together, We'll get back to looking into Don's whereabouts on January 13th, 1999. In the meantime, as I mentioned, I'm still speaking with Jim Trainum, trying to work out a time to record that interview. I'm also speaking with Jim Clemente, so that interview will be coming up soon. But the focus of my investigation right now has turned to the police officers. After learning about what Ann Ben Roya experienced in Kevin Urich's office and listening to Laura talk about the police presence at the high school, I've started digging back through the police notes and the transcripts of their interviews. In the past, I've looked through all of these, trying to figure out what the witness was saying and what the witness was doing. But now I've realized there's far more important information in those transcripts. I want to know what Detective Ritz and McGillivary were doing next week on The Serial Dynasty. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for our show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing all of our logos, including the projects he's working on for the new Truth and Justice podcast. Thank you to Jill at Pod Transcription for creating all of our transcripts. Thank you to Sean T. at Sean T. Fitness for funding the program. And thanks again to all of you who are helping to contribute to the Truth and Justice podcast future. And again, if you'd like to be a part of moving us forward into this new endeavor, Go to GoFundMe.com slash TruthAndJustice or go to SerialDynasty.com and click the link. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there are enough of us in this army. If all of you will just take a minute and donate $1, we'll be at our goal in a matter of minutes. Please keep sending me all of your thoughts and theories into theories at SerialDynasty.com. And also, if you have a new case you'd like us to consider, the only qualifications I have would be that it's a case that is believed to have been a wrongful conviction and we have to have access to source documents. Send those cases along to theories at serialdynasty.com. And don't be upset if I don't email you right back. Right now what I'm doing is flagging all those emails and moving them into a particular folder. And myself and my assistant is helping me to go through those and start to filter through the cases. So I promise you I'm getting them, we're saving them, and we're looking into them. If you want to say hi or send a quick message, you can always catch me on Twitter, at Serial Dynasty, or go to the Serial Dynasty Facebook page. And I also want to thank all of you who participated in the Periscope AMA that I did on Wednesday night. And again, I'll tell you, any of you that do not have a Twitter account, take a few minutes and create a Twitter profile. If for no other reason that you could link to the Periscope app, and the next time we do an AMA, which for those of you that don't know what that means, because I had to look it up the first time I heard it, means Ask Me Anything... You can sign up on Twitter. You can link to the at Serial Dynasty Periscope. The next time I do a live stream, you'll get a notification and you can ask me questions in real time. But as for now, I'm signing off, and this has been the Serial Dynasty.